Namaste. As we know, the prayers and meditations of the mother are also some of the profound experiences that are there within it. One of the experiences that we are going to read today, actually it is the crux of the gospel of divine works which is given in the Gita. We know that the mother had already realized the truth of the Gita. But when you go to the traditional pandits who will talk about the Gita, they will talk about slokas, their meaning, slokas and their meaning. But here we have a living experience of how a Jivan Mukta works. And she has expressed it so beautifully. She is not mentioning that this is how it is. Because truth is something which is vast, uh, universal. Uh, it's A book may mention it in a one way, like the Gita is a very wonderful scripture, we know. Someone else may experience something very similar but in a different way. Another book may express it in a different way. So she is telling us, without mentioning anything, as to what is that experience when a person is completely not just open to the divine, but the divine flows through the person. So one of the uh, problems that we know, which uh, the Gita tackles is that, is it possible to do works in a state of nirvana? When your consciousness is completely free, what happens then? So we have the traditional understanding where it is said, well, when you have achieved nirvana, there is no more works to be done. Or, so you can withdraw, or you can continue with works as a result of the exhaustion of your past karma. So there is something which is going on, a cycle which has started, your inner being has achieved nirvana, your, your soul is free. But there are certain things which from past momentum have to continue and have to be dropped over a period of time. But uh, this is not what Sri says. He has a very beautiful whole, uh, you know, uh, chapter on nirvana and works in the world. So, and see, this is the question Arjuna had asked Sri Krishna. And Sri Krishna just hints at it that what is the inner state of the person? He doesn't speak about any outer signs. Uh, we can presume that uh, at that point of time, it was the rush of the battle. So, Sri Krishna gives essential hints. But then the mother reveals what really happens. How does one work? Because ordinarily when we work, we work because of some motive. Usually that the motive is desire. That's how people say that when there is no desire, uh, what do you do and how do you do? Now, there is something called as below desire, which is instinct and impulsions of various kinds. There it's not necessary that there is a desire, but there is a restlessness, what is called as vital spontaneity. Then there is thought, one thinks and acts, this is what normally we do. But when all these three layers are quietened and the soul is free, how does one does, do works? So that's where we see that Sri speaks about in synthesis of yoga, in the Gita, he brings out a truth which is there in the Gita, but he develops it to its fullness and that is the supreme will. Then we don't act under the impulsion of desire. We don't act under just a restless need for work. We don't act because of the mind's ideas, dogmas, calculations, interest, uh, preferences, nor by the mind's, uh, you know, opinions, viewpoints, moral, social, ethical, even religious ideas. So how does such a being act? Such a being acts purely by letting the instruments in the hands of the master,
and let the master flow through it. You know, as uh, Shabindu says in one of his uh, aphorisms, um, I am not a jnani, I am not a bhakta. What am I then? I am a leaf driven by the breath of the Lord. So, you know, he becomes like a flute, all hollow inside. No ego, which is obstructing anything. And he just let the breath of the divine flow through it. So she has an experience which is documented here and it's very illustrative of what our life should be like. December 10th, 1912 O Supreme Master, Eternal Teacher It has been once more granted me to verify the unequaled effectivity of a full confidence in thy leading. Thy light was manifested through my mouth yesterday and it met no resistance in me. The instrument was willing, supple, keen of edge. So, uh, we have Sri poem Jeevan Mukta about it and we have similar experience of Sri when he comes out of Alipur jail. Even before that, when he has entered a state of Nirvana, so he has to go and give a talk in Bombay, a couple of places. And then he asks Lele Maharaj, my mind is totally silent. So what do I do? I have to give a talk. He said, nothing. You just do pranam to the divine within and he will speak what has to be spoken. And that's why Shubhinder at one point also says that, I have come to say something but the words are snatched from my mouth. And the divine put some other words. Now this is important because very often people think that when you have arrived at inner freedom, then one stops speaking. This is a traditional understanding. Someone asked even Shurabindo that Sri Ramakrishna said that well, uh, when the vessel is uh, empty, then it makes sound. When it is full, then it becomes silent. So Shurabindo said yes, but even he continued to you know reveal truths in the gospel. Shurabindo himself we know that 35 volumes of the Arya, uh, uh, I mean not 35 volumes of Arya, Arya may be totally about 20 volumes, but still so much. So it is not that the person who has arrived at inner silence or a state of nirvana stops acting in the world. In fact, his, wor- his work is much more powerful. Shubhindu says that the work of the yogin is much more powerful than in ordinary life precisely because he is drawing a much larger breath. His finite being is open to an infinite consciousness. His finite knowledge is now touching the peaks of infinity. His finite love in the human heart is open to infinite love and infinite delight. His finite passions which exhaust themselves very soon are open to the infinite energy, luminous energy of the Lord which flows through such a person. So here is this description. In Savitri it is there in uh, book 7, Canto 5, Finding of the Soul, where we see how each center opens after that and it's the divine consciousness that flows through every aspect. So here she is speaking about the mouth and speech, but it can manifest through any and every organ, the hands, the feet, and it's significant here because many people have this uh, understanding that mother's work is only what is done by the hands. And feet. At least I used to have this dilemma. People would often, you know, say that, you know, real work is only when, you know, you are doing here, there. So I said, see, uh, divine has given us hands, feet and also a mouth. So, 
So, why this instrument cannot be used in service of the divine? See, it's a misconception. Why the mouth, even heart beats, breath can become instruments of the divine. So that wherever you breathe, you release certain kinds of energy. Mother speaks of this in context of Pondicherry. She uses the word, wherever, within the 10 kilometers radius, you cannot breathe without breathing my atmosphere. Why? Because she is releasing that atmosphere, that energy in the atmosphere by her very breath. So even the breath and heartbeat of a person who is inwardly free and open to the Lord becomes a means for the divine love, sweetness, light, radiance, energy, power, force, ananda to radiate into the world. Here she is saying in the context of speech that I had once more a proof, several times she has done it. The first time probably the experience uh, which is documented is a uh, few months before this. She meets Abdul Baha and uh, he tells her that uh, I am not too well. Why don't you go and speak? Mother says, but I don't speak. No, you go. Why don't you speak? You just let speech flow through you. So she goes and then she speaks. And it's such a beautiful speech. And also in many of some of the meetings when she speaks about thoughts, dreams. So there is another kind of speech and uh, in our traditional yoga, in tantra especially, there are four levels at which speech operates. So there are two lower levels and two higher levels. So the lower levels are uh, Vaikhari and Madhyama. Vaikhari is the most outward speech. Madhyama is what is in the thoughts, subtler. Then there is Paravak, the, the Pashanti walk, seeing intelligence, where you actually see, you have not spoken, but the fact that you have seen, the fact that you have, a truth has been revealed to you, it is spreading into the atmosphere and having its effect. You, it has been revealed to you, but it has its effect in the atmosphere. And then beyond it is the Paravak, the ultimate Nad, where there is the first primal stir. The, and ultimately speech must embody that. And that is the difference. At one place, uh, the other day, one of the writing of the mother, that for spiritual speech, one must be inspired. Because inspired means not Vaikri and Madhyama, but at least Pashanti Vak. One is uh, receiving some illuminations and letting it express through the mouth. And of course, with mother, I am sure it is Paravak, her vibrations which are using the speech this is a subject where many things can be spoken of. She says even ordinary word has power, so we should be so careful when we speak. And then someone asked her mother, what is it that uh, is there in your words that when you speak, it has a certain effect upon us? And this five, six lines, the sadhak has asked this question. Uh, what do you put in your words ultimately? And mother's answer is one word. She says consciousness. Another place she says about her own words that do not take my words for a teaching. They are always a force in action. And when you dissociate them from this purpose, then they lose their sense. So they are a force in action. So here we have a concrete example of how she would speak and what speech can become. O Supreme Master, Eternal Teacher, it has been once more granted to me to verify the unequaled effectivity of a full confidence in thy leading. Thy light was manifested through my mouth yesterday. And there is another condition. And it met no resistance in me. The instrument was willing, supple, keen of edge. So how do resistances come? 
the divine inspiration comes intuition comes and should when the says it enters the mind where reason takes over and it starts cutting chopping mixing you know people would too much categorize classify this way that way and mother at one place says that if you do this explain shurbindo's teaching in a very formatted organized way then you have lost it you have turned it into an organized religion because it's not like that say yoga which is expressing itself in many fold ways in everything in life that's why read mother's conversations even shurbindo's writings it's very interesting he is not saying okay today we'll talk about uh, psychic being and 1 2 3 4 points because everywhere the psychic being can be discovered in countless ways how are, how are we going to categorize it but the resistance has come when the mind believes this way that way all its ideas opinions when this light enters it meets with the resistance can be cannot be should be should not be but become a clear limpid channel it comes enters the brain and the vocal apparatus is also prepared ready and then it expresses itself so sometimes you know it's so important at one place toward the later part mother speaks of the eyes getting transformed the vocal apparatus getting transformed so if you hear the voice of the mother toward the later part 72 73 you'll feel it is cracking that the human understanding she was saying there is such a tremendous power which is entering the uh, throat that the human apparatus and that is her preparation you can imagine that that human apparatus is not able to receive it fully and that's what we understand when you know shurbindo had to revise things savitri why did he have to revise again and again precisely because it's coming from the highest plane like a cascade and when it enters the human brain imagine we are reading but he is writing lines after lines lines after lines as cascades so even the best of instrument shurbindo is prepared so well the language he has perfect mastery in every way and yet while it is expressing itself here and there there would be some transmission uh, issues but the correction also comes by transmission that's the beauty so shurbindo would not correct saying oh should it be like this or should it be like that by rules of grammar no the correction also comes through the transmission so that's a another kind of life we can't even imagine and this is not only about speech about everything see with mother going to pluck vegetables she would get this this vegetables will say take me don't take me dealing with human beings it's a different world altogether and a different consciousness so she says instrument was willing supple keen of edge so the instrument should not be and often i give this example say the mouth is an instrument if we want it to become an instrument for the divine expression of the divine light so what are the things we should not be expressing through the mouth we can understand we don't even need to talk about it how harsh uh, we are how uh, what kind of words language people use how can then the mouth be open to expressing higher truths and deeper thoughts that's why the mother says if you use this kind of language slander with a foul language then it's like spiritual suicide because you know this is the importance of speech and uh, this apparatus it is thou who art the doer in each thing and each being this again a great realization of the gita as long as we think i am the instrument we have not yet touched the first first we realize and experience that yes we are the instrument then we go further 
and we realize that no i am not the instrument the instrument is created by nature oh i am the worker next step then you realize no you are not even the worker nature is the worker then you become one with the master of works and till we pass through these stages if i believe i am the instrument then i have limited myself to the most elementary stages even sometimes it can lead to grandiosity and all kinds of uh, even titanic forces can use when people say oh i am very important if i don't uh, sit on the throne the empire will collapse or uh, how will work be done if i step away it's the sign that one has not even one is still having the egoism of the instrument and then the next level is okay i am the worker even that should drop away so here we we again have this profound experience of the gita the gita describes it initially when it says step back uh, sankhi yoga so you know when sri krishna describes that all the forces come and enter into his vast sea like calm so it is thou who art the doer in each thing and each being so not only in me everywhere in all things and he who is near enough to thee not even identification see saying he who is near enough to thee to see thee in all actions without exception will know how to transform each act into a benediction mark the words straight from the gita sarv karmani sarv karmani sarv karmani even it goes on to say yukt ahar viharasya even eating of food even entertainment can be done in a state of union with the divine of course yukta har vyarasya some people interpret as middle path balanced but shurbindo takes it to a highest level he says no everything can be done in a poise of inner union with the divine so all actions he is saying there is not a single action and then what happens when you know that you are not the doer and you let the divine force flow and of course you keep offering that action whatever it be it may be an action of thought it can be action of emotions heart feelings it can be the upsurge of passions in a certain direction it can be the physical body every action can be turned by an offering toward the divine into a transformed action what we have to do is this mental thought ideas which keeps interfering stay in a state of quietude and just remember that it has to be just offered back from whichever source it's coming just offer and uplift it and leave it to the divine feet this is important otherwise we don't know we can be uh, driven into all kinds of directions so she says he who is near enough to thee to see thee in all actions without exception this qualification without exception is like it qualifies it further will know how to transform each act into a benediction so then one knows leaves it entirely to the divine mother and this is a very subtle thing so one must slightly distinguish it it's a high yogic stage it doesn't mean that somebody would say okay i am getting angry so i leave it to the divine and the divine is expressing through me this vital spontaneity this comes when already one has arrived at a stage of inner freedom so we should not mistake prematurely like some people say oh mother is doing everything so i take it that you know mother is making me do it but at the same time we must understand that there is a state of consciousness towards which we must rise through the yoga of the gita through integral yoga through a through a sustained aspiration and surrender wherein all actions without exception can be done through a direct inflow of the divine force 
what about fear and anger and all that shurbindu says they are not uh, you know they are like distorters like we have to take away minds opinions so this fear anger they are distortions which are arising from below to mix with the divine action so when it is said all action it doesn't mean that okay i am angry i am afraid i am indulging in all kinds of you know lustful activities and i say no that is the lower nature that spoils the truth of the divine action like it was spoiling in arjuna's case the divine was inspiring him to do something and he would his ideas opinions viewpoints would come in the way but when we are in a state of inner quietude open to the divine then all actions can be an expression of the divine force but this subtlety we must know that um, even shrivindu goes on to say that it is true that all action ultimately behind it is the divine mother but we have to identify with the divine mother in the higher nature and not in the lower nature uh, this distinction is important the gita doesn't uh, draw this distinction directly but indirectly it does when it speaks about devasuri sampada and it speaks about tamogun rajogun satugun uh, here this action is when one has risen beyond satugun and allows the light to manifest and express itself so how do we go there now she gives us a wonderful hint and a clue to abide always in the is the one thing that matters is my action taking me away from this inner dwelling in the divine mother now this is something we can see only in the sincerity of our heart or is it carrying me closer and closer to her this is the only mark there is no other sin if we see the veda all that deviates from the truth and how to know all that deviates from the truth there is a veiling inside how will we know the veil if we have never opened it <laughs> so <laughs> so but we'll feel we'll feel the heaviness we'll feel uh, restlessness we'll feel excitement we'll feel anger we'll feel frustration all these are signs depression that we have deviated from the straight truth of our being so we must align ourselves so what is important is not oh how am i it's not a performance you know some people uh, sometimes you see in a theater drama sometimes even here or they make something and they want appreciation so how was it now well it's an offering she will show us how it was or it was not and then you will know it from inside that whether this was aligned with the divine or it was not aligned with the divine the same action can be aligned or not aligned so important thing is to abide in the divine and then let the divine do what he has to do always and ever more and more in the beyond illusions and the deceptions of the senses so illusions the biggest illusion is i am the doer i am the instrument <laughs> so beyond all the illusions and deceptions of the senses not drawing back from action so you see entire geeta is here because the moment she says illusion oh we have a whole traditional understanding of illusion oh yeah, mother is saying abide in the divine and no illusions now what is illusion here see illusion refers specifically to perception illusion is not about action it's the way we perceive things now when that illusion is gone action doesn't vanish knowledge takes its place and the classic example of illusion is um, the rope and the snake shankaracharya himself has given it i don't know why later commentators have changed it into there is nothing and you see something 
If that is the case, then withdrawing from action is the logical thing. But in this analogy of the rope and the snake, there is something which is misperceived. Now when we remove this misperception, which comes due to the ego and the senses, then what we perceive? We see the divine force working in the world. Why would we then withdraw from action? And this truth is also revealed in the first two slokas of the Isha Upanishad. So the first sloka is about the basis of life and action and the second is action itself. So the first sloka is Isha Vasyam idam sarvam yad kincha jagatyam jagat tena tyaktena bhunjitha maakrida kasasviddhana. First step, abide in the divine. Know that the divine abides in all creatures. Even in the smallest of activities, that's why it's qualified as Jagatyam Jagat. Even in the smallest of activities and movements of nature, it is He. Therefore, covet nothing, have greed for nothing. When you are in that state of freedom, knowing that everything belongs to the Lord, you live in delight. And when you have arrived at delight, should you withdraw from the world? No. <laughs> Doing works in the world, verily, one must live for a hundred years and then it further qualifies. This is the path shown to us by those who have gone before us and not otherwise. Action cleaves not to a man. If we follow this path, then action will no more be a bondage. Otherwise, when we do it in the egoism, then it's a bondage. So she's revealing us the truth. That we should go beyond illusions and the deceptions of the senses, not drawing back from action, refusing it, rejecting it. No. A struggle, useless and pernicious, is further qualifying. Withdrawing from action, it is a useless struggle. Why it is useless? This is exactly what Sri Krishna tells Arjuna. Arjuna, you are indulging in mithyachar, you are not a Buddha. When you withdraw from the war, what is going to happen? You have withdrawn thinking that, you know, one day Gandhiji will come and tell withdraw from outer violence. But you are a Kshatriya by nature. When you are in the camp, you will itch for the battle, but you will suppress it. So what you are doing? You are indulging in Mithyachar. So rather fight the battle, but fight in the true state. And then he takes him step by step that you are a Kshatriya. A righteous battle is perfectly fine for you. It's your sodharma. Then takes him further and further ultimately to that final consummation. Sarva dharman parityajya mamekam sharnam raja aham tva sarva pape bhyo mokshi shami masucha. So first he says refusing, rejecting action is something which is not possible because outwardly you will refuse it. Inwardly it will continue. Later on you will go in the subconscious. One will say oh I am free. No, you know, one is not free. The second, we have, what we have to refuse and reject are the states of consciousness that uh, egoism, fear, anger, lust, that has to be rejected, not action. So look at the, we have to be like, you know, that surgery, divine, if we leave it to the divine, he'll do this microsurgery, where he will remove the things which distort the action and let the action flow freely. So not refuse or reject actions, he says the thing, which is not possible. And then she says pernicious. Because if you do it, why pernicious? If you do it persistently, you will become a mithyachari. You will want to show an image of being saintly, harboring all the unsaintly things, whatever it means. 
and keeping them all stored in the subconscious parts. So it's pernicious, very dangerous. So she says, a thing is struggled, useless and pernicious. The Gita uses the word useless in a different way. It's the same thing. She says, Sri Krishna says that, you know, you can't because nature will drive you. You can't reject it. Later on, mother has upgraded this. And later on she says, not only you are, you know, nature will continue to work according to its own. That's why the Gita would say that, you know, uh, don't try to uh, stop the action because it's nature. But step back from that and then live in my state and be united with me. That's how the Gita ends there because transformation is not there. Mother says, yes, yes, I know all this when somebody asked her. And there is a state of consciousness like Paramahansas who allow everything in nature to fly through them. They are not bound. They are free inside. They don't struggle against nature. But she says, no, nature can be transformed. Now that is much later. So here she is only touching upon that. She is not developing that full aspect of transformation. Here it's about action done in a state of inner freedom removing all that interferes with the free divine flow through our being. But leaving thee alone in the act, very difficult. It's much easier to withdraw from action, to hide in a cave. Though she says sadhana in a cave is not easy. Besides, it gives you the illusion of of doing something great because your ego is not challenged. If you are in a cave, Somebody comes to meet you also, will think you are a sadhu baba and will do bow down to you. So you will feel also flattered. See, somebody from America has come and he is going because they are all looking for people in the caves. That's our understanding of sadhu babas. But in real life where you don't pose to be like a sadhu, but inwardly you will be challenged. Somebody will say something because sadhus you are not supposed to say that. So whatever people may feel on the face, they will, at least in India, they will observe that reverence. So you never come to know. But in real life, you will be challenged. So she says, but living the alone in the act, whatever it may be, again she is qualifying, regardless of the act, but living the, ever and always the, then the illusion is dispelled. Not, Drawing from action. But thou, 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 mother, 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 letting her work through and act in everything. The falsehoods of the senses vanish. The bond of consequences is broken. All is transformed into a manifestation of the glory of thy eternal presence. So let it be. And look at it. She goes to the highest because she is now identified with the divine. And from there, like a supreme benediction, she turns towards nature and says, so let it be. So the whole gospel of Gita and even it touches a little beyond is there in one prayer of the mother. Can we imagine? And still we have this habit of circulating on WhatsApp. This is written in the Gita. First of all, it's not written. Jo hua, cha hua, jo hoga, cha hoga. Such absurdities, inanities. And in India when this is circulated, really, that means the person has really not read the Gita, leave aside, living the Gita is a far greater cry.
But here, without mentioning the Gita, she is revealing to us the truth of the Gita. Because truth is something to be lived and when it is lived, it is authentic for you. It doesn't matter. Even if nobody in the world has ever spoken about it, it's still there. Truth doesn't belong to anyone. It is something to be realized and lived. Truth lives in its own light. So we read again this wonderful prayer, which is the ultimate gospel of the divine works. December 10th, 1912 O Supreme Master, Eternal Teacher, it has been once more granted me to verify the unequaled effectivity of a full confidence in thy leading. So before anything we do, offer it and call the Divine Presence. Thy light was manifested through my mouth yesterday and it met no resistance in me the instrument was willing, supple, keen of edge. Prepared, ready, supple, not rigid and ready and offered to the Lord. It is thou who art the doer in each thing and each being and he who is near enough to thee to see thee in all actions without exception will know how to transform each act into a benediction. Anyways, he is the soul doer. We don't know. But the yogin knows. This is the difference. And when he knows, life changes. Or we can say life truly begins. Before that it is death. <laughs> which we call life. To abide always in thee is the one thing that matters. Always and ever more and more in thee. Beyond illusions and the deceptions of the senses, not drawing back from action, refusing it, rejecting it, is struggle useless and pernicious. But leaving thee alone in the act, whatever it may be, ever and always thee. Then the illusion is dispelled. The falsehoods of the senses vanish the bond of consequences is broken. Na karma lipyate nara. Isha Upanishad, second shloka. The bond of consequences is broken, which arise when action is done in a state of ego. Action does not bind us. It is the state of consciousness that binds us. If we do it in a state of inner freedom, nothing can bind us. All is transformed into a manifestation of the glory of thy eternal presence. So let it be.